We have the most fun church in the world. Anyway, a couple of things this morning before we get into our Bible study. 24 is coming up. That is this Friday noon to Saturday noon. It is our annual 24 hours of prayer. And uh, there's a flyer in your bulletin. There's probably a couple of spots left if you still want to sign up to be a host. There's also a flyer for prayer requests. We'd like to receive some prayer requests so that we can be praying for some things. If you signed up to be a host, you received a letter from me this week and uh, let you know that we're going to try and have a meeting at noon today in the prayer room to go over just some of the procedures if you can be there. If you uh, didn't sign up to be a host, you can stop by any time during the 24 hours that we're there from noon on Friday to noon on Saturday and just join with us in prayer as your work and home schedule will allow. Uh, bring your kids, bring the whole family. It's just a time for us to seek the Lord and to encourage one another. One other thing I want to announce this morning, um, a couple of weeks ago, most of you in second service don't know this, we had a massive power problem about two or three weeks ago, first service, meaning we didn't have any power. And uh, we blew a fuse, we kept blowing a fuse, and so we, we kind of got that taken care of. Uh, but in the process, we learned that, and, and this is real technical stuff. Of course, you know how technical I am, so I'll try and, you know, say it in a way that you can understand. But uh, now, all I understand is that this part of the building, from the fellowship hall over to here, we uh, we have a 200 amp service. Some of you people know what that means. We have 200 amp service, and when everything is on this time of year during the summer with all the new air conditioning and everything that should make you feel really cool, we're drawing 230 amps through that service. So I'm told that's not a good thing. <laughs> I figure more is always better. But uh, So in order to strategize, here's what we have to do. This is why it's a little bit warmer these last couple of weeks, second service. Uh, in order to keep ourselves from exploding... Uh, there's, there's actually two, there's four air conditioners in the sanctuary now, and we have to leave one of them off and we have to leave one of the two off in the fellowship hall in order to strategize our power use. Now we're looking into getting more power into the building, but it's not a quick fix thing. You have to call Edison and they have to have meetings with electricians and, and then you have to sell your babies, uh, you know, and stuff to... Anyway, we're looking, we're, we're looking into it, but in the meantime, uh, it's a little warm. But, uh, of course, some of you are happy because you always thought it was too cold in here, and, and this could be the result of your prayers, I want you to know. <laughs> Just be careful what you pray for because uh, this is what can happen. All right, let's open our Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 18. Luke 18 is where we find ourselves in our study this week. We're going to finish the chapter. Uh, verses 35 through 43. Whenever I laugh like that, it's because somebody has written something on my notes in between services. And uh, it just, it's funny, but you wouldn't understand. Anyway, I always remind them that I am the one talking and I can, I'll work something in. Don't worry. Luke chapter 18, show me the mercy Verses 35 through 43. Okay, now don't, don't act like first service now. I, I won't be able to take it. I can't have two services like that. I mean, I can handle first service being a little bit quiet, but if you guys go that route, I don't know what I'm going to do. All right, Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 35. 
Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Let's pray. Lord, we are a people that desire to give you praise and bring you praise in and through our lives. And I pray that our study of the word would further that desire today, that we would know something more about you than when we first came in, something more wonderful, more glorious, more fulfilling, more rich and real, so that we would just smile with the joy of the Lord, that others would actually ask us, what's going on in your life? And that we would tell them, it's not what, it's who, it's Jesus Christ. Do these things and more, more than we could ever ask or think. We pray in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. If Jesus asked you, what do you want me to do for you, what would it be? Peace in the Middle East, the cure for cancer, an end to all ethnic prejudice, the end to poverty? Or would it be something more personal, a healing for yourself or for a loved one? It's a pretty intense question packed with a lot of responsibility and ramifications. How you answer it says a lot about who you are and what you value in life. You answer the question every time you pray. Every time you ask for something in prayer, you are revealing what it is you want the Lord to do for you. It might be a good idea to first ask yourself a question, what should I, what should I ask the Lord to do for me? Or to put it another way, is there something, a principle, that should guide my asking? There is, and you see it illustrated in the story of the blind man. Sure, he asked for his own healing. But in his case, it was just the right request because it resulted in him following Jesus, glorifying God. And that's the principle. Ask for those things that will result in you following Jesus, glorifying God. We'll organize our thoughts around two questions this morning. Number one, what do you want Jesus to do for you? And number two, what do you want Jesus to do through you? First of all, in verses 35 through 41, what do you want Jesus to do for you? This story is also told by Matthew and Mark in the Gospels. If you read all three accounts, you discover that there were two blind men and that one was Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. And so in verse 35... Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. Luke and Mark in their gospels indicate that Jesus was coming near Jericho. But Matthew says that it occurred while Jesus was departing Jericho. It should never surprise us that the accounts in the gospels give slightly different details. We would do, and we do the same when we tell stories to other people. Just any husband and wife telling the same story, give it a slightly different spin or from a different angle. On the way out, one of the brothers said to me, so you're telling me I live in a two-story house. 
See, you got it right away. I just got it now. But uh, anyway... <laughs> I knew if I said it, it would make sense. But, and, and so th- there's nothing surprising about that. People tell stories slightly differently. Now, the gospel writers, inspired by the Holy Spirit, pick those details most important, not just to the story, but to the unique spiritual truth that they were seeking to derive from the story in their particular gospel. And so a lot of people, you know, I don't know what's wrong with people. It's like, oh, no, oh, I was reading this and look, this huge discrepancy in the Bible. One says they were coming in, one says they were departing. See, you can't trust the Word of God. No, just think about it for a while. It makes perfect sense. And so that's what's happening here. Now, there are a number of possible explanations to clarify whether Bartimaeus was healed as Jesus entered or as he departed Jericho. One is that the two blind men were at the gates of Jericho when Jesus entered the city. And then they followed him through the city until as he was about to depart, he stopped and called for them to come to him. And that is probably what happened. Verse 36, hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. Each day Bartimaeus would get up, get himself ready and find his way to a particular spot along the road leading into Jericho where he would set up beggar shop. Begging, I'm told involves spreading out before yourself a garment on the ground and then passers-by would put any offerings on that garment it's not unlike those people who maybe they're down at starbucks i don't know if they allow this here and they would you know bring their guitar and open up their guitar case and play you some songs and you would put coins and this is how my son is supporting himself now that he's out of college by the way i just there at the entrance to Starbucks. But anyway, and so that's the kind of begging that went on. And then at the end of the day, Bartimaeus would gather up the coins in the garment and he would make his way back home. A large group passing by was a jackpot moment for a blind beggar. And this would be like a bus coming over to Starbucks while you're begging. I mean, it's like, wow, all these people are going to come through this door. And so He wanted to know something about who was in the multitude, perhaps to gear his presentation to the appropriate audience. I mean, there are different ways that you would present your your begging. Again, using the guitar analysis. I mean, let's say, you know, if it was a group of young people, you know, playing in a softball tournament, you might want to sing some contemporary songs. If it was, uh, you know, and we get a lot of tour groups here, you know, elderly tour groups, you know, people who are coming for all the fantastic sites in Hanford, you know, the Imperial Dynasty and Superior Dairy and the Bastille and, you know, places that you just, man, I mean, wow. You might want to sing some Bobby Darren or Frank Sinatra or something like that if you're expecting to get. And so you understand this is just real life. I mean, you have to, you have to kind of feel what's going on here. This is, this is blind Bartimaeus and he wants to say, what's going on? This is my, this is a, you know, it's a big, I might be able to take tomorrow off. (laughs) And so verse 37, well, he's self-employed, you know, basically without workers comp. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by of all the possible titles and descriptions of Jesus. And scholars say that there are maybe as many as or more than 700 
different names for Jesus in the Scripture or uh, descriptions of Jesus in the Scripture. Of all those possible titles and descriptions, why tell Bartimaeus he was Jesus of Nazareth? Well, obviously we can't be certain, but we do know that Nazareth was considered a backward and poor village. To describe someone as being of Nazareth was a derogatory remark. I can't think of any cities in our area. And so I won't say anything, but you know what I mean. I mean, if you want to, I mean, all of us, let's say collectively, people in different parts of California believe that we are from Podunk, USA, correct? Now, you and I know that this is paradise. By the way, it was so funny. We, were, we drove over to the coast the other day, and uh, there's a sign in Paso Robles that says, Almost Paradise. And you know, the, the thing that gets me, what I get from that is, hey, if we could have just gone over the mountain, we would have gotten there. <laughs> but we stopped here, and we're living in Paso Robles. But uh, anyway, so if you, were, if you wanted to be derogatory or put somebody down, you would, you would say, well, that's Jesus of Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth, they used to say. And so the crowd was telling Bartimaeus to not expect anything to be put on his begging garment. It's just Jesus of Nazareth, the poor itinerant minister who doesn't have a place to even lay his head, his ragtag band of poor itinerant ministers who gave up everything to follow him, and then a bunch of other weird people who all have needs and who are following him so that he might be able to help them. And so don't expect anything. All they're doing is taking up road space for people who could be giving you uh, some uh, alms today. Expectations, though, are powerful. And Bartimaeus, as we'll see in a minute, had an expectation that Jesus could help him, and we'll see why. But I want to talk about that for just a minute, expectations. It's good to have spiritual habits and to be spiritually disciplined. Let's say you come to church every week or twice a week or whatever your regular habit is. I don't want to put a trip on anybody, but let's say you come to church at least once a week, Sunday morning, maybe twice a week, Wednesday night, Sunday morning, whatever it is. Good, great, fantastic. However, sometimes we get so much in a habit that we can fail to have any expectations that anything is going to happen when we go to church or when we go to our regular Bible study. And the truth is, something always happens if we have ears to hear and spiritual eyes to see. There's always ministry going on. Folks ministering to you, you ministering to them. We can miss those opportunities or we can take advantage of them, oftentimes based on expectation. And so I want to encourage you, if, you're in a, if you don't have any spiritual discipline at all, get into one and, and start to plug into those kinds of things. If you do... Return to a place where you're expecting the Lord to minister to you and through you and see if he doesn't honor that in new and fresh ways. And so in verse 38, he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, Bartimaeus saw something the rest of the people missed. He saw that Jesus was the son of David. The Jews believed that their Messiah 
would be a descendant of King David. That he would sit on King David's throne in Jerusalem and rule over Israel. Bartimaeus was declaring that Jesus was this promised Messiah, that he was this son of David. And so it's revealed to us that he had a deep faith in the things of God. Bartimaeus had heard about Jesus before he showed up in Jericho. Jesus was big talk everywhere. To some, he was Jesus of Nazareth. To others, he was Jesus, son of David. It's a reminder that you cannot remain neutral about who Jesus is. Josh McDowell once said that Jesus is either the Lord or he's a lying lunatic. There's no middle ground. Now I say that because a lot of times people will say, well, yeah, Jesus was a a great teacher. He was a great philosopher. He was a wonderful religious leader. But Jesus himself doesn't give you that leeway. You don't have the liberty to say those things about Jesus. Because if you read and listen to what he had to say, he was saying every day in every way, I'm either the Lord or I'm a lunatic because I'm telling you that I am the way, the truth, and the life. That no one can come to God except through me. Gee, that's a great teaching. No, it's not unless he is the Lord. If if he's not the Lord, he needs to be committed. They should have taken him away. And so you have to make a decision. In other words, you must give Jesus a title. Every now and then my wife and I talk about why is it that people use the name of Jesus as a swear word? Do you ever wonder about that? Just out in, you know, if people, they're mad or they, they use the name of the Lord. Well, I think in a weird way, they're giving him their title. That's who they think the Lord is. He's a he's a person to be cursed or to be trodden upon. And though they might not say that, I mean, if you say to them, what's your title for Jesus Christ? They might even say, oh, he's God or something like that. But in essence, they're really that's the title that they give him. And so you're either a believer or you're not a believer. There's no middle ground here. You have to decide who Jesus Christ was and is. And if he's not the Lord for you, then you're in trouble because he is the Lord. And there is no other. And so in verse 39, then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus may have followed Jesus through Jericho, crying out the whole time. Another illustration of his faith. He had a persistent faith. You know, in, in his day and age, this is, this is the only chance he was ever going to have, probably, to really be that close to the Messiah. It was an unusual thing that the Messiah would be passing right by him. This was his moment. He would never have this audience again, and so he took advantage of that. Sometimes I think it would be better if people had the sense that this is, this is my moment. The Scripture says today is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. People need to realize that they need to make their decision for Christ now. Our life is a vapor. It appears for a moment, and then it vanishes away. None of us know how much time we really have. And those who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, they need to make that decision while Jesus is within their reach. Now, think about this. 
you're a blind man crying out to Jesus, and these guys warn you to shut up. What did they do? Shut up, blind man. I mean, think about it. It's kind of rude, don't you? Hey, blind man, shut up. What, one of you guys want to get that blind man? I mean, it's okay. Nevertheless, they, they warned him. Now, they seem to be more interested in getting somewhere than in going somewhere. They wanted to get through Jericho and get to their destination. Jesus had a sense that he was going through Jericho. And as he was going, he listened to the promptings of the indwelling Holy Spirit and stopped to minister. He didn't really even listen that much to Bartimaeus. Because Bartimaeus may have been shouting the whole time. And I'm sure other people were saying things. But he was listening to the still small voice of the indwelling Spirit. And at a certain point, he stopped and told them to bring Bartimaeus over. Now, Christians, we've been given what we call the Great Commission. It's to go into all the world making disciples. The sense of that really is as you are going through the world. We take it often to mean that you have to get somewhere first, and then you can set up shop and minister to people. And certainly there's nothing wrong with missions or missionaries or you know, planning to go on a short-term missions trip or a long-term trip or to move to another country. That's all part of, of the Christian life. But it tends to cause us to forget that we're all missionaries all the time just as we're going through life. Later today or tomorrow, many of you are going to what? You're going to be going to work. Then you're going to be going home, going to the store, going to the movies. We're always going. And if we only think about where we're going to get, and we only do ministry when we get there, and it's at church or Bible study or something like that, we might miss a lot of opportunities as we're just going through life. The greatest ministry is done through the lives of individual Christians who touch their neighbors and friends and people at the store and all of those kinds of things. Most people are not going to just wake up on a Sunday morning and say, man, I've got to get down to Calvary Chapel. I've got to get there. Or any of the other good churches in Kings County. They're invited. They're, they're drawn because of someone who they know. They're drawn because of you, because you know that what's waiting for them is, is eternal life in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And it's as you're going through life, not when you get somewhere, but as you're going. And so remember that. Verse 40, so Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. It must have been an amazing thing whenever Jesus stood still. I mean, if you were one of his followers, you know, he's walking along doing whatever you do and you're walking along and then all of a sudden he stood still. And man, whenever Jesus stood still, something phenomenal was about to occur. You never quite knew what it was. And so everybody's holding their breath and he commands him, Bartimaeus, to be brought to him. And when he had come near him, he asked him saying, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. This was not the only time Jesus ever asked someone, what do you want me to do for you? And I want to pause and talk about that for a minute so that we can keep this in context. In the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 20, the mother of James and John came to Jesus and he asked her, what do you wish or what do you want me to do for you? And then I'll quote from Matthew's Gospel. It says, she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, 
you do not know what you ask. To sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my father. Now, you can't blame her. She was just acting like any good mom. Oh, well, did you hear that? I thought maybe it's like a, just to me. For those of you listening on CD, a cell phone just went off interrupting the message. Anyway. Page 48. Anyway, uh, so she's just acting like any mom. She, she just wants what's best for her kids. But you notice, and the reason I'm giving you this story, the Lord did not grant her request. He asked the same question, what do you want me to do for you? But he didn't give her what she asked for. It wasn't part of the greater plan that God had for her sons. The Lord did not and he does not always give you or grant you what you ask for. He will overrule your requests if they do not result in your following him, glorifying God. In the case of James and John, God had other plans for those guys. Glorious plans. John, for example, would be exiled to the island of Patmos and then he would receive and record the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so God... God saw what would be best for following him, glorifying him, and he said, no. He said, I, it's not in me to grant that request. And so keep that in mind. Just because Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? It doesn't mean it's in his perfect will to grant it. Now, was it really necessary to ask a blind man, what do you want me to do for you? Well, yeah, I think so. For lots of reasons. For one thing, a lot of people whose testimony I've heard who have been stricken with various handicaps or difficulties, but God has been honored and glorified through them, they would actually say, and they have actually said, I would rather be in this condition and know the Lord and have my relationship with God then be perfectly healthy. That's a tremendous thing. Another thing, it reveals the heart of the asker when you ask this question. What you ask for in prayer becomes a gauge of your values or your beliefs. This really, I didn't want to get too much into it, but, you know, what, what would you, if the Lord was here today and he, and he said, you know, Gene, what do you want? Wow. What do you ask for? What, you know, if it, I mean, it, it, gets, it deteriorates into that, like one of those genie jokes, you know. You find the genie in the bottle and you can have one or three wishes and stuff, and then the third wish always wipes out the first two, you know, that kind of thing. But, I mean, if you could have one thing, what would it be? It says so much, and it, it's, it has such unbelievable ramifications. But it does reveal the values of your heart. This is what's so great about Solomon in the Old Testament. The Lord came to him, you remember, and said, what do you want? And he says, well... I better get wisdom to rule your people. And God said, yeah, that's the ticket. That's it. And so because you ask for wisdom to serve others, I'll give you everything else too. And so it was great. Now for another thing, it reveals the heart of God. You don't see it at first, but this question is a question that a servant would ask. What do you want me to do for you? Though he was and is God, Jesus came to serve. 
Jesus wants to serve you. He desires to grant you your requests. He still asks, what do you want me to do for you? But he won't always give you what you ask. We saw that in the case of the mother of James and John. His answers seem to be guided by whether or not they will result in your following him, glorifying God. Even when I don't or can't understand his ways, what God does is good and it's for his glory. Which brings us to our other question. What do you want Jesus to do through you? Jesus was and is God. He can save. He can heal. He can raise people from the dead. Why doesn't he do all these and more when we ask him? Well, first, let me say that he still does do many of these things. Just because you haven't recently seen a resurrection doesn't mean they aren't occurring or that they haven't occurred through history. And you do regularly see people passing from death to life as they are born again by faith in Jesus Christ. We need to be reminded, unfortunately, that salvation is itself a miracle. Jesus earlier in this chapter said what is impossible for man that is to be saved is possible with God. Sometimes we tag that on. We're, as Christians, we're embarrassed that God isn't doing more miracles. And so we say, well, salvation's a miracle. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, there you go. Hey, that's a great miracle. Maybe the greatest of all. That's when heaven is rejoicing. When a person passes from darkness to light, from death to life. When they receive Jesus Christ as their Savior and now are going to live forever with Him in eternity. So God is doing miracles. The other thing and I've said this many times before, we always think that the healing, the miracle, will bring God the most glory. That's a natural way we think. I think that way. Lord, if you would just heal this person or raise this person from the dead, think of the glory that would be brought to you and the conversions that would come. And then I have to go back to my Bible and read the stories in the Gospels when Jesus did these things and ask myself, did they result in people believing in him? And oftentimes, and for the most part, the answer was no. My favorite one is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Jesus came. He spoke to, the, to Lazarus who had been dead for four days. Lazarus comes hopping out of the grave. He's all wrapped up in grave clothes. Glorious resurrection. What's the result? The religious leaders had a staff meeting and they said, we need to kill Lazarus and we need to kill Jesus. We can't have these resurrections going on. They didn't come to faith in Jesus Christ, quite the opposite. And so no matter what you and I think and no matter what Bible teachers tell you, miracles don't always result in people glorifying God. In some cases, they result in people hating God. And so that's just the way it is. Now, Jesus did heal Bartimaeus. But that's not even the main point. The main point is that Bartimaeus then followed Jesus, glorifying God. It says in verse 42, Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Made you well should be translated, has saved you. Some of you King James. Who's got the King James version of the Bible? Right on. You're right for once. <laughs> no, but it, it's, it's really the sense that he has saved you. Not just he's healed you, that you now have eternal life. Bartimaeus had put his faith in Jesus Christ to save him. Remember, he called him the son of David, and he knew that Jesus could heal him because that was what the son of David would, was doing on earth. 
Receiving his sight was simply a sign to show that Jesus had the power to forgive his sins and save him for eternity. Verse 43, and immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, they gave praise to God. Now, Bartimaeus knew his scriptures. As I said, he knew that when the Messiah came, he would give sight to the blind. You can read that in Isaiah chapter 61. He asked for something consistent with the promises and purposes of God's word. Bartimaeus' request was in harmony with following God and glorifying God. It allowed Jesus to be glorified through him at that time and in those circumstances. Here's a perspective you need to ponder. Although Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he reveals himself to mankind different ways at different times. When the Lord was on earth in his first coming... He was revealing himself to the Jews as their Messiah, the son of David. He thus went around performing the works and signs and miracles that the scriptures said would accompany the Messiah. Was Jesus received by the Jews as their Messiah? Most certainly he was not. He was rejected. He was crucified. He rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. He promised to return to earth a second time. When he returns, in his second coming, he will establish his rule over the earth. He will fulfill all the Old Testament promises and prophecies regarding the kingdom of God on the earth. We live in the meantime, in a between time, between the first and second comings of Jesus Christ. We call it the church age. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He can heal today just as easily as he healed in those days. But he is being revealed to mankind somewhat differently as we await his return. By far, the prevailing characteristic of the church age that we live in is the patient suffering of believers empowered by the grace of God. It's the patient suffering of believers empowered by the grace of God. Jesus promised his followers that in the world they would have what? Tribulation. Then he told them to be of good cheer because he had overcome the world. That is your life in a nutshell. Suffer with grace. And you'll reveal Jesus to others by following him, no matter what, glorifying God. And this is why the apostle Peter could say, and I quote, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, You have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is why the Apostle James could say, quote, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It's why the Apostle Paul could say in Romans, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This is why the Apostle John could describe himself in the Revelation as your companion in tribulation. Jesus, James, John, Peter, 
all of these guys understood we live in a unique time when the way Jesus is being revealed most often is through patient suffering as God gives you his grace to be sufficient. And others look upon that, they see your weakness and God's strength, and they are drawn to him. What strengthened Paul? In 2 Corinthians he said, Therefore most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Jesus had said this to him, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Now don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with asking Jesus to heal. He still heals today. He does all of those things. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But generally speaking, he's not really revealing himself to the world as the Jewish Messiah right now. Signs and wonders are, are not really following the preaching of the gospel all the time like they did when he was on earth in his first coming. The way Jesus reveals himself to people in your experience is through your patient endurance and suffering oftentimes as his grace is sufficient for you. So much so that Paul the Apostle, who wasn't a sadist at all, could say, man, I take pleasure in my infirmities. I love them. Bring it on. Because the weaker I am, the stronger Christ is, and people are scratching their heads thinking, what is going on with that guy? And I can just say, it's Jesus Christ. And they'll believe. Now Jesus asked blind Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus asked to recover his sight. At that moment, as Jesus was revealing himself as the Messiah, still offering the kingdom, it brought God the most glory to give Bartimaeus his sight. Jesus asks you and I, what do you want me to do for you? Just remember that we live in an age in which it often gives God the most glory for us to boast in our infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon us. Let's pray together. Father, we do appreciate these things. We don't always like to hear them. None of us would choose to suffer. We don't like pain. Infirmities sound bad. We're not familiar with boasting in them or being in any way joyous about them. And yet we understand, Lord, that you can be revealed in our weakness, that your strength overcoming our weakness is a powerful testimony. We see it in the lives of others, those that have been greatly handicapped from this world's point of view and yet have brought forth beautiful works of praise to your honor and glory. Their lives themselves are testimony of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, none of us know the suffering that you have in store for us. Some of us are in it right now. For some will have relief from it. Others have lifelong difficulties, Lord. Whatever it is, I pray that you would strengthen us in it, Lord, that your grace would fill us, be sufficient for us, that we would be overflowing with it, that others would see Jesus revealed as we wait for you to come for us and take us home. What do you want us, you to do for us, Lord? What we want is for us to follow you, glorifying God. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand together. Some of the guys will be down front here to pray with you and for you after the service. And uh, take advantage of that. It's a sweet time just coming forward.
Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. Somebody did bring you to church. Maybe you think they drug you to church. They love you. And uh, you're wondering about Jesus and, hey, am I a Christian? And how do I become a Christian? We'd love to share with you about that. So just come on down as we close in song. Don't even wait until we dismiss because then you get pressed out with the crowd. Just come on down as as soon as we start singing and, and just wait here. Some of the guys will be here to talk with you. Have a sense of expectation that the Lord wants to do something in your life, that he's passing by right now. Are you going to cry out to him? He's ready to stop and to ask you, what do you want me to do for you? And he's going to do for you that which is for your good and to his glory. Coffee shop, pancakes, smoothies, chillers. I mean, where else would you want to be? Some of you I recognize from first service, you're back. You had breakfast, now you're back for lunch. Hey, I don't blame you. It's a, it's a good thing. Wednesday morning, the men will be together in the cafe for our uh, time of devotion and fellowship, 6.30. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock for our midweek Bible study. Friday and Saturday, 24 hours of prayer. Join us. Stop by five minutes, ten minutes, a few hours, and uh, pray with your brothers and sisters and, and see what the Lord might do in your life and in the lives of others. Drop off some prayer requests for us so that we can be praying for you. At least give us a prayer request if you can't make it so that we have a full slate of requests. May God bless and keep you in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, you have my heart. I will search for yours. Jesus, take my life and lead. Lord, you have my heart, and I will search for yours. Lord, you have my heart, and I will search for yours. Let me be to you a sacrifice. Let me be to you a sacrifice. I will praise you, Lord. Love come down. I will sing. Love come down. As you show your face. As you show your face. We'll see your glory. We'll see your
to see you on Wednesday. Have a great week.